Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Pilgrim's Progress, a study in the books of First and Second Peter. Here's Pastor Nick. Etc. Nothing about us. It's about what Jesus has done for us. Is Jesus' righteousness imputed to us? There's a good theological word. We call it imputation. Imputed to us. Now, what, is that, what does that even mean? Well, it's kind of like this. Imagine, and, and for some of us, right, it's not going to be real hard to imagine, but imagine that your bank account is empty. You're like, yep, yeah, I'm with you, right? I'm right there. Yep. And your credit cards are maxed out. You're like, yeah, check, right? Like, I'm there. Okay. Bank account's empty. Credit cards are maxed out. Your stuff is getting repossessed. You're absolutely broke. But then some wealthy person, some benefactor decides that they're just going to deposit all of their wealth into your bank account. They just get your routing number and they just send it over electronically. What would happen in that case? Well, first of all, not only would you be able to pay off all your debts, all your debts would be covered, but beyond that, you would have a surplus. You would have way more money than you could ever spend, than you could ever know what to do with. Well, that is the essence of what it means that God has imputed his righteousness into your account. This is the essence of the gospel. If Think about righteousness is like currency. Righteousness is like currency. You and I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've got zero righteousness. In fact, we have a negative balance in the righteousness category. Why? Because we have a debt of sin before God. And it's a debt that we, have, we do not have the means to pay. And what happens is that one day for all of us, that debt will come due. And if and when it does, we're toast. But Jesus, and this is the good news of the gospel, Jesus came. He was completely and perfectly righteous. He was rich in righteousness. And because of his loving kindness, he deposited his righteousness, imputed it to you, deposited it in your account with your name on it. That's the idea of imputation. It's not something you deserve. It's not something you earn. It's a pure gift that someone does for you. You receive it and say, thank you. See, Peter's standing before God, and our standing before God in Christ is not based on our actions, our own righteousness, our own greatness. It is based purely on what Jesus did for us on our behalf. And if you have the same faith that Peter had, which, which means trusting in Jesus and what he did for you, trusting him to be the great Savior that you need, then you will have the same standing before God that Peter had as well. He says in verse 2, May the grace of and peace, or may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge, there's that word, knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, the two greatest gifts, the most precious gifts in the world, the grace of God and the peace of God. Notice how these things are mediated to us. How are they mediated? Here's how it says, through the knowledge of God, through the knowledge of God. How do you get the peace of God in your life? How do you get the grace of God in your life in increasing measure? Here's how, through the knowledge of God, through knowing him. It says in verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Again, how? Through the knowledge of him. 
God gives us everything we need for life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him. Now, it's one thing, you know, there's a difference between knowing in theory and knowing experientially, knowing personally, right? Like all of us know certain things about certain celebrities, but that doesn't mean we know those people. We might know their hobbies, we might know their birth dates, their kids' names, but that doesn't mean we know those people personally, experientially. It's the same thing with God. It's, it's one thing to know about God. It's another thing to know God experientially and personally. In chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, Jesus is praying over his disciples after the Last Supper. And he says there at the beginning of his prayer, this important phrase, he says, the essence of eternal life, this is what eternal life is all about, knowing the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. This is what it's all about from start to finish. This is what heaven, this is the essence of heaven, knowing and experiencing God. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul the Apostle talks about the same thing. He says, before I became a Christian, I was pursuing a lot of things in my life. I was looking for fulfillment in a lot of different areas, but I was completely empty and unfulfilled. But he says this, now that I have come to understand the gospel, I have one goal in my life, and that is to know him, to know Jesus, to know God the Father. In other words, the essence of the call of God in our lives is the call to know him. It's a call to relationship with him. You know, in my own life, uh, personally, I, I grew up in a Lutheran kind of setting. I went to a Lutheran school growing up, went to Lutheran church. I was baptized, and I was catechized, and I was confirmed in a Lutheran church. And for the most part, it was a really good experience. But there did come a point where I came to realize that it wasn't enough to just know true things about God. It's not enough to just know true things about God. I actually needed to know God personally in a, in a relationship and experientially. And the way that I came to that realization was that one weekday afternoon, I, uh, I was sitting in my car after school one day. Uh, I was in high school and I had a friend in the car with me who I knew was a Christian. And we were talking. She initiated this conversation, you know. And she pointed out something to me in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus' most famous sermon. And there in the, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this very surprising thing. He says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean? He means this. There are some people who think that they're going to heaven. Why? Because they've, they've done certain things, right? In this case, Jesus said, oh, Lord, we've done so many things in your name. Oh, Lord, we, we worshipped you. We, we went to these things. We attended services. We, we even acted, you know, did acts of service for you. And Jesus says, and I will tell those people, depart from me, you evildoers, because I never knew you. And what Jesus is saying is that there are people who are in for a very tragic surprise on that last day. And that is this. They think that they're good with God. Why? Because they've done certain things. They've gone to church services. They know certain things, right? They know f true facts about God. And he says, and yet, they've never taken that step across the line into a relationship with me. And my friend asked me, she said, you know, is that you? Are you that person who thinks that you know God, but in reality, right, you just know things about God? You know, the essence of the call of God on your life is that it is a call to relationship with him. And what an amazing thing that is. That should blow our minds every time we think about it, right? That you could have a personal, dynamic connection with the creator of the universe, the one who made you, the one who holds all things together. And, and it begs the question, how do you 
do that? How do you enter into a relationship with God? How do you know God? How do you grow in the knowledge of God? Well, there are three ways that we can see really clearly outlined that are told to us in the Bible. Three ways to grow in the knowledge of God. Number one is by the Word of God, right? God's revealed revelation of himself, his Word. So the Word of God. The second is by the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God who reveals the truth of God's Word to us. And the third way is through interactions with Christians in community. So the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. Again, this is why we emphasize community groups. It's because we want you to grow and we absolutely believe that you cannot become the person who God desires for you to become on your own. You need the word of God, the spirit of God, but you need one other thing. You need the people of God. You need community. There at the end of verse 3, Peter tells us something else about the essence of God's call on on our lives. He said, it's a call to God's glory and God's excellence. He says in verse 4, by which he has granted to us great and precious promises, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption of this world because of its sinful desire. Here's something more that we learn about the call of God, the essence of God's call on us. It is a call to partake in the divine nature. What does it mean to partake in God's nature? Well, to partake of something means to experience it, to take a bite of it, to have it become part of you, to become part of you, right? So consider what that means for the essence of God's nature. God is holy. Holiness is perfection. And in the Bible, holiness is correlated with happiness. I love that because I think so many times people get that off. They're like, holiness sounds like a bummer. No, in the Bible, holiness is correlated with happiness. So to partake in God's holiness, you know what that means? It means to experience satisfaction in your life. Do you want satisfaction? Of course you do. Here's how it's found. Partaking in God's holiness. Partaking in God's holiness leads to happiness, satisfaction. Furthermore, who is God as in his character? God is a perfect community. He's a community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. See, God calls us into a relationship with him, but it's not because he's lonely and needs friends. God calls us into a relationship with him, with him, but it's not because he's desperate for company and willing to do whatever it takes. No, God has been eternally existing, eternally existing in a fulfilling, satisfying relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is who he is. He is a relationship at his core. And each person of the Godhead of the Trinity, right? Loving the other, honoring the other, exalting the other. Round and round this goes, this relationship in which every person in the Godhead is endeavoring to exalt and glorify and serve and bless the other. It's this beautiful life-giving cycle of joy. And essentially, this is what it means to partake in that. It is God inviting you to join in that. To join, to become part of that relationship, to partake in it. See, what Peter wants you to see here is this God's call on your life, the essence of God's call on your life, is not only a call to be forgiven of your sins, it's not only a call to not go to hell. That's part of it, that's an essential part of it, but it's not the whole of it. It's just the start, that's just the beginning. It is so much more beyond that. What we see in these first few verses is that the call of God in your life, the essence of it is this. It's a call to a relationship with God which will transform you. 
A relationship with God which will transform you. It's a call to experience the glory and excellence of God and partake in the goodness and perfection and joy and beauty and be transformed through it. Isn't that beautiful? That is the call of God. Now, how do you know if you have that call on your life? What is the evidence of God's call on your life? Well, here's what Peter tells us next. And this is really the, the, the heart of what he says here. And it's this, the qualities of Christ. Hi everyone, Pastor Nick here from Whitefields Church in Longmont. We're excited to announce the Northern Front Range Calvary Chapel Men's Conference taking place on May 21st and 22nd, hosted at Whitefields Community Church. This year's theme is A New Man from Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. We'll begin the conference on Friday, May 21st at 6.30 p.m. with a time of worship, teaching, and fellowship, and we'll end on Saturday early afternoon with a steak lunch. The cost is $30 per person and spaces are limited, so register soon at whitefieldschurch.com under events. We look forward to seeing you there. Now back to today's message. The qualities of Christ in your life are the evidence of your calling. Let's, let's explain. Verse 5, he says, For this very reason... Make every effort to add to your faith or to supplement your faith with. Then he gives a list of seven things that he says that we should add to our faith. Here's what they are. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. He says, you have faith. Awesome. Now add to your faith these things. There are things, in other words, that don't just happen on their own. He says, put every effort into it. If you want to see these things in your life, it will take some effort on your part. Do you want to grow in knowledge? It's going to take some effort. Do you want to grow in faith? It will take effort on your part. Do you want to grow in godliness, self-control, love? These things don't just happen by putting a Bible under your pillow and getting it through osmosis. These things require effort on your part. And these things here... What are they? Look through that list. These are characteristics that we see lived out and modeled by Jesus. Part of partaking in the divine nature, you know what it means? It means becoming like God, becoming like Jesus. And these are the qualities of Jesus that we get to partake in, that we get to add to our faith. And Peter says this is going to require some effort. But here's what, in verse 8, he tells us why it's worth the effort. Why it's worth the effort. Here's what he says. If these qualities are yours and increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is possible, Peter is saying, it is possible to have a saved soul and a wasted life. Is that what you want? Do you want to have a saved soul and a wasted life? Because it's absolutely possible. It's possible to have a million dollars in the bank and live an impoverished life. It's possible for a Christian to be saved, but to live a life that is ineffective and unfruitful. What, what does that look like? What does an ineffective, unfruitful Christian life look like? Well, if you want a picture of it, a perfect picture is the Dead Sea. 
got to go to the Dead Sea last year. I hope to go again next year. In the country of Israel, there are two large bodies of water. In the north, the Sea of Galilee, and in the south, the Dead Sea. And what's interesting is that both of them are fed by the same source of water, which is the River Jordan, which is a, a life-giving, right? Life, it's flowing with life, the River Jordan is. Uh, the Sea of Galilee in the north also fed by the Jordan River is this lush oasis full of fish, teeming with different species of birds. The, the Dead Sea, on the other hand, is exactly what it sounds like. It's dead. It is one of the most naturally toxic bodies of water on earth. Ingesting even just a little bit of the water is deadly. Like when you go into it, you have to be careful. Nothing can live in it. I, I got to float in it last year. And what's interesting is they only let you float in it for like 20 minutes because you have to get out because literally that water is so salty, so toxic that it literally sucks the life out of you, right? And isn't that a picture of an ineffective and unfruitful Christian life, right? Life sucking rather than life giving, right? The reason the Sea of Galilee is dead is because it takes in, but it never gives out. It has no outlet. There's nowhere for it to go. It consumes, but it never shares. It never gives out. And as a result, it's completely unfruitful. The ineffectiveness and unfruitfulness of a, of a Christian life that is a saved soul, but a wasted life, right? It's a lot like the Dead Sea, right? An ineffective, unfruitful Christian life is one that is myopic, right? You're, you're your vision is closed, inwardly focused, self-centered, constantly unfulfilled, always looking for that next thing, that next person who will come and fill that void in your soul. An ineffective and unfruitful Christian life is one that never makes progress. There's no victory. It's just constant backsliding and then coming back around. It's not making a difference. It's not blessing others. It's a saved soul, but a wasted life. And that is a tragic, miserable, depressing way to live. I don't think any of us wants to say, I lived a life that was completely insignificant. If though, on the other hand, you want to live a significant life, a fruitful life, an effective life, here's how to do it, Peter says. Put every effort into adding these things to your faith. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. For whoever lacks in these qualities, verse 9, is nearsighted, so nearsighted that they're blind, having forgotten that they were cleansed from their former sins. So this kind of lazy, half-hearted faith, what is it the result of? It's the result of losing sight of the gospel. Losing sight of the gospel. This is why we need to be constantly reminded of the gospel. The message of who Jesus is. What Jesus did to save us. Guys, you know that the gospel... It's not just the ABCs of Christianity. Some people think that, right? The gospel's like the ABCs. It's the child stuff. It's the beginning elements. But then you move on. You graduate to the, to the deeper stuff. No, guys. There is no deeper stuff than the fact that the God of the universe condescended to us, that he came down and became one of us, sacrificed his life. There's no deeper truth than the fact that we are great sinners and he is a great savior. Right? He's a faithful Savior, that he is a gracious Savior. There's no deeper truth than that. The gospel isn't just the ABCs of the Christian life, guys. The gospel is the A 
to Z. It is the whole of the Christian life. And that's why here at Whitefields, you know, we call ourselves a gospel-centered church. And what we mean by that is that in every sermon, in every children's ministry class, in everything we do, our goal is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Because we understand that is not only the way that we get saved, it's the way that we grow. It's the motivation by which we grow as believers in the Lord. And, and Peter says this, if you have lost your fervency, your passion for God, if you've taken your foot off the gas, it's a sign that you've taken your eyes off the gospel. You've taken your eyes off the gospel, and you need to get your eyes back on the facts of the gospel, how utterly lost you were apart from Jesus. How, what an incredible price he paid for you. What incredible love he has shown. Maybe you've forgotten how completely he has cleansed you by his sacrifice on the cross. This is the solution. Get your eyes back on Jesus. Guys, so many things in this world will disappoint you. So many things will get you off track and pursuing the wrong things. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. This is why we take communion every week here at Whitefields. We want to be continually reminding ourselves, this is it. This is it. This is why we gather. This is our hope. This is the thing that motivates us on. Jesus Christ and him crucified, what he did for us. Verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling or to make your calling and election sure. If you practice these qualities, you will never fail. One of the big questions that people ask, how can I know if I'm really saved? How can I have assurance that I will go to heaven when I die? How can I know whether I've really been called by God and elected by God? How can I know if I'm really his? How can I have assurance of these things? And Peter answers that question by saying this, the evidence of whether or not you are really in the faith will be the fruit of your life. That's the evidence. An apple tree produces apples, and the life of a person who walks with God will bear the fruit of walking with God. So Peter says, take a look at your life. In addition to trusting in Jesus and trusting in the gospel, are these qualities present in an ever-increasing way in your life? Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. If not, that's the check engine light on your car for your life. You should be concerned. If the fruit of a relationship with God, the fruits of the Spirit, the things that he mentions here, if they're not evident in your life, that's a warning that something's not right. But the good news is you can do something about it. Now, let me be clear. These things on their own, they're not going to help you at all in your status with God, right? There could easily be, and I could probably point you to, some people who are not Christians who have these qualities in their lives. But here's the thing that Peter says. You must add these things to your faith. In other words, faith in Jesus and what he did is primary. Without that, these things aren't going to help you at all with God. But the presence of these qualities in your life is an indicator that you're on the right track. Likewise, the absence of these qualities in your life is a warning light that something is wrong and it needs your attention. Verse 11, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, Paul the Apostle says that it's possible to be saved by the skin of your teeth. Right? Just barely getting in to heaven. Just sliding in like under the garage door as it closes. But then he, he says here, Peter says, but also there will be provided for some, there can be provided a rich entrance into heaven. See, Jesus told us there are, there are people who 
unfortunately believe they're going to heaven when in fact they are not, as I mentioned from Matthew chapter 7. They have a false sense of confidence for one reason or another. And Peter's saying this, do you want to look under the hood? Do you want assurance of your salvation? Then look at the fruit of your life. Is your life characterized by these virtues? If it is, that's a good sign. If it's not, that, that's a warning sign. You know, even if you prayed a prayer at one point in your life to receive Jesus, even if you were baptized at one point in your life, even if you've been coming to church every week for your entire life, if you are not pursuing God, if there's some area of your life that is incongruent with the will of God, that should be a warning to you. You know what? Let's put it this way. Disobedience and assurance do not sleep in the same bed disobedience and assurance do not sleep in the same bed. Nowhere in the Bible does God give assurance to people who are not walking in active obedience and pursuing God. To those who are, even if they falter, even if they fail, God gives every assurance that you are his and he will hang on to you. But for those who are, who are saying, you know what, I'm, I know what God wants, but I'm going to do this instead, there is absolutely no assurance given. Rather, a big flashing warning light that says, watch out. You know, Christ-like qualities can't save you, but they're an indicator of what's going on in your heart. And so Peter's point here is this. Examine yourself and put every effort into growing in these areas of your life so you can be more fruitful, more effective, used by God for his purposes and becoming the person he wants you to be. In verse 12, Peter says, I don't mind reminding you because I am going to die soon and I want you to remember my words. So I'm going to say them over and I'm going to say them loudly. That's what he says through the end of this chapter. Let me conclude here. How can you know if God really loves you? You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. If you would like to support Be Set Free Radio or the ministry of Whitefields Church in Longmont with a donation, you can send a check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or give a financial gift online at whitefieldschurch.com.